Hello everybody, welcome to the NC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the host of this podcast. I run NC Real Estate, which is a place for landlords and investors to come together and grow their wealth through property. I absolutely love what I do. I get so excited by it because every single week I get to come to you live on this podcast and let you know what's going on in the industry. If you haven't listened to my podcast previously, then let me give you a little bit of an update about me. I'm a chartered surveyor. I have worked in the residential and commercial sector for over eight years now. I trade across the UK. I've got a lot of focus in London and the surrounding areas. I have my own buy-to-let portfolio, which is in Bath and in London, and I look after property investors globally. So anybody who's investing in the UK or around the world, then I look after them, I put together strategies for them so that they can continue taking action to get to their goals. If you want to know anything more about me, then head on over to my website, www.ncrealestate.co.uk. There are so many amazing resources for you over there. That again is www.ncrealestate.co.uk. So head there right now whilst you're listening to this podcast. Promise you, you will absolutely love it. So as always, we're going to start off this podcast with having a look at some of the eye-catching news headlines that have really caught my attention this week. If you haven't been reading my blog or keeping up to date with my YouTube channel, then you won't know that actually I'm quite involved with some topics that are coming up so much at the moment, one of them being shared ownership. So if you head over to the NC Real Estate YouTube channel, you will see my YouTube video from last Thursday where really I shared all of the cons of entering into shared ownership schemes, mainly because we are now in an unstable market. We're going through a period where it's not really clear whether properties are going up or they're coming down in value. Maybe they're just staying the same. For people who are in shared ownership schemes, who are really looking at staircasing at the moment, it's a real issue because the valuers for shared ownership providers um, in London, those could be Genesis, they could be Notting Hill, other shared ownership providers, and they're different all across the country. But the valuers that you have to employ as a a shared ownership owner, so if you're if you're someone who owns a shared ownership property, you have to then pay for a valuer on behalf of the shared ownership provider to come out and value your property. You then staircase, you then buy another percentage of the property uh, based upon that value that that valuer gives to the shared ownership provider. What seems to be happening is that whilst we're in this period of market uncertainty, those valuers are valuing the property that you're staircasing on a lot higher than mortgage lenders will, which means that as a shared ownership owner, you're not going to be able to buy out more of the property unless you put in excess cash. And that's not great, actually. It's really not a particularly fair system. There should be one value that is given to both the shared ownership provider and also the mortgage lender that lending is based upon, and in which case that will allow you to keep staircasing so keep buying additional percentages of your property but it's not the way that works at the moment and after this scheme has been going now for a couple of years I think this will come to light more and more and more and more what can I say to you if you're in that position well one of the things that you could do is 
if your shared ownership provider thinks that the property is worth more than the amount that your mortgage lender is prepared to lend on, you could sell it at that point because chances are that within your lease, part of the mechanism is that if you ever wanted to sh sell your shares in the property, you have to go back through the shared ownership provider. Well, if they're saying it's worth X amount more than your mortgage lender is, fantastic, put it on the market and sell it at that price. And you've probably made a little bit of equity in it. You can then use that equity to go and buy a full property outright. You could even think to yourself, do you know what? If the market is actually coming down, maybe I'll sit on this for a couple of months and I'll have all of this equity uh, and cash in my bank account so that when the market drops, I can pick up a property at a good price. It really is up to you, the area that you're investing in and the risk that you're prepared to take. But there is no reason if you cannot get a mortgage over it for you to be trying to find excess cash when chances are if the mortgage lenders think that the value isn't at that level, then it could be a sign that the market isn't going where you think it's going. So you should be trying to cash out and buy something at a better price. Now, I'm not telling you where to um, invest because every single age area is different. But if you are struggling and that's something you are coming up against, then that is a good alternative solution. And hey, how amazing would it be if you could buy 100% of the property and not have to go through a shared ownership provider? So if that is you and you're in that uh, predicament then do definitely have a look at whether you can sell it and you can get all of that cash back out so there's one of the big things that I'm going on about at the moment it's just something that really winds me up first-time buyers shouldn't be uh, being treated like that it's it seems like now more than ever that first uh, the shared ownership schemes are a really good way for shared ownership providers to make money rather than they care about who actually is in their schemes and if they are prepared to, and their valuers are prepared to value these properties really high, then at some stage, uh, the person who's living in that property won't be able to afford it anyway. So we'll have to give it back. They'll then have to spend the money marketing it. And chances are they're not going to be able to sell it at the price that they thought that they could get it for anyway. So do not be held to ransom by this. Think smart. If it's really panicking you and you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, I don't know what to do here. Take a step back, write down all of the pros and cons and really start to think, actually, what could I do with this money? If I took this money back out and I had that much money in my bank account, where would I buy? What could I get for that? And you might think, actually, I might move areas or do you know what? I might find a mortgage lender that's actually going to lend to me on a buy to let. I'll start renting in the area I need to be in and I'll buy to let somewhere else so that I can still get some money in from the rental income. These are options that you have. So it's not the end of the world if you can't get the mortgage at the value that the shared ownership valuer has valued it at. You just need to be smart and be thinking about it. And you might be thinking, Natasha, well, this is a property investment podcast. Why are you talking to me about this? Because I know that you or your friends might be in this situation. So just be very aware of it. And if you can pass on that knowledge, then please do. I want to make sure that everybody, if you want to be in the property market and you want to own your own property, then you should be able to do that. So this is me giving you that knowledge right now. Second piece of newsworthy headlines. Um, really surprisingly, well, if you listened to my podcast last week, you will have seen that I was talking a little bit about Liverpool and how it's probably not the place to invest in. However, there are some places that really are taking off right now. So 
figures from GVA suggest that Edinburgh and Leeds are the most active regions in the UK for property investment. And that was in the second quarter of 2018, with £124 million being spent in Edinburgh and around £62 million being spent in Leeds. That's quite exciting. For those of you who have been looking at new areas to invest in, not quite sure and are thinking, oh, actually, where else can I have a look? Why not start having a look in Edinburgh and Leeds? Edinburgh has always been quite popular. It is a hub. And if you go up there, I love Edinburgh. It's beautiful. It has got a really healthy shopping high street. It's got a lot of bars. It's got a lot of pubs, loads of students. And it is so accessible. I always fly in and out of Edinburgh Airport if I'm going from London, it's only 45 minutes. And then you can simply get on the tram straight to the centre of town. I think that's amazing. And then only within a half an hour's walk, you can be at the bottom of Arthur's seat. So for me, that is the perfect place to be. Um, of course, it's cold in the winter, but it's lovely in the summer. And I can see why people would be investing up there because it is a desirable place to be purely because it's really well connected. You can also get the train straight down to London if that's what you want or other areas of England. So I understand it, I really do. And as more businesses invest up there, and you'll see that if you get on the tram from the airport to the center of town, there's loads and loads of business parks springing up around Murrayfield. And that's a really positive sign. It shows that there's innovation going on. It shows that the uh, area is building. Um, and from that point of view, yeah, really great place to invest in. Also, just for all of you who didn't know this, Scotland do have different uh, landlord to the England's landlord. So they do have different tenancy agreements. They have different ways of dealing with things, but I am so convinced that it's far more straightforward to be a landlord in Scotland. Everything is laid out for you in step-by-step -step steps. The government has put that website together. There is nothing hidden. You're not going through complicated um, landlord and tenant acts, nothing like that. I actually think the Scottish way of doing things is something that we really should be looking up to in England. And to a certain extent we do. So I can see why people are investing up there. Very similarly for business premises, this landlord and tenant acts that we've got in England and Wales don't apply either. Again, really straightforward. So if you're looking for somewhere to invest, I would start looking in Scotland. I think it's a really good idea, Edinburgh especially. Um, there's still investments to be had in Glasgow as well. So you can look out into the surrounding areas, maybe a lot further north. So Inverness, Aberdeen, not as strong a market, but you never know how things are going to fare as we go into Brexit. So keep your eye out in those regions. Leeds as well, I can, I can see that again, pretty, pretty connected. It is a pretty connected city and you can get properties super cheap and still achieve the yields. Now with Leeds, of course, there's areas that you'd want to buy in and there's areas that you wouldn't want to buy in. Um, and I can't advise any specific areas on this podcast because I haven't looked into it in so much detail. I've literally done a good right move search and thought, oh, do you know what? I could probably pick up a property for 60 to 70,000 pounds and let it for around 500 to 750 pounds a month on a single buy to let. That's pretty good. So if you got down into some mechanics of actually what's going on around Leeds, you could get better yields. I'm not saying that that's the best yields you can get, but I've 
looking into it, if that's some of the first things that you can see, you know you can always get better if you hunt harder. So two regions that I would be really thinking, do you know what, you should have a look there. And it's only recently just changed this way. For previously, it was more Manchester area. Manchester and Birmingham were huge investment hubs. But as gradually bigger institutional investors are moving their eyes towards Edinburgh and Leeds, I think we should be too, even if we just understand the market and what's going on up there. So I was very interested in that and I've shared that knowledge. So now you guys should be going and having a look and thinking, oh, new regions for me to have a look at. And then the third piece of newsworthy headlines that I thought that I'd let you guys in on um, is WeWork's extension to housing in 2016 is coming to London. So they've now, if you don't know what WeWork is, it's flexible serviced office space and it started in the States and it's taken off rapidly in the UK. WeWork are looking for space across the UK. If you've got office space, I would definitely get in contact with them because they are looking at taking over space and putting their own project in there. Um, but they've also started something in New York called We Live, and it's on a similar principle to We Work, in which case it is serviced accommodation. But serviced accommodation where you can live there for three days, you can live there three months, you can live there 12 months. It's not confined to three months like Airbnb does because Airbnb is really for holidays. This is aimed at people who are actually looking at living in a city, but they don't know how long they're going to be there for. So really professionals. If you're flying in somewhere because you've got a job somewhere, you don't know how long the job's going to go on for, We Live would be that perfect solution for you. They now want to bring that to London and they want to start having a look at areas in which they could do that too because obviously Airbnb in London at the moment you can only live in your Airbnb or you can only rent your Airbnb out for a maximum of 90 days which isn't great. What are you going to do for the other nine months of the year? Some people are getting around this by putting it on TripAdvisor or Booking.com but you need to be careful with that because local um, councils are dead against it, really dead against it, unless you get planning permission to use your property as a holiday let. So if you're going down that route, fabulous. If you're not, might be difficult. But this We Live situation is going to give you that model in which you can follow and start doing it yourselves. And of course, if these big businesses are doing it, there is money to be had. The thing that you want to be considering is that we live are doing it in a way that we don't really see in the UK within buildings. A lot of the time they're going to be providing gyms, they're going to be providing swimming pools, there's going to be communal areas where there's going to be TVs, they're going to have coffee stations, there'll be snacks, breakout rooms for if you're going to be working there and of course then there'll be the concierge, there'll be the cleaning teams who go in on a daily basis and everything else that goes with almost that hotel standard of living. So that is far more expensive. And so what you're going to need is you're going to need a, cu a couple of flats in order to make sure that that is cost effective. You don't just want to have that one flat because it really isn't going to work as well. If you're charging uh, tenants, whoever are moving in, a certain rent for that and you can't then afford to provide all of those other services, it's really they might as well just go back to Airbnb. This is really comfort living. You're home away from home or maybe your new home or that stopgap whilst you're looking for 
longer term residences if you decide that you're going to be living in that city for a longer term. So it is that flexible living. And of course, all the bills and utilities are included within that. I think it's fabulous um, and it would be something that I'd be aiming for definitely to buy myself a block where I could have multiple flats of multiple sizes. I think that's really good because then of course you've got different stock that you can let out and providing all the amenities with that probably wouldn't provide a swimming pool because they're super expensive but definitely a gym, definitely somewhere to park, definitely breakout spaces and you can put that in the less valuable parts of a building so you could put that in the basement, you can put that in the ground floor next to concierge. I think it's a great idea and also I love the fact that you can get cleaners going into the properties whenever you'd like. Um, of course, you're going to have to let your tenants know, but that again means that your properties are preserved because there's constantly someone going in there and checking out what's going on. I think it is an awesome idea and I'm sure they're going to make a huge amount of money out of it. And I don't see why they shouldn't. I think it's brilliant. And if they've got the resources and means to do it, fantastic. And it's something that we should be looking at as property investors and landlords and thinking, actually, how are we going to replicate this? How, If they can make the money from it, how are we going to make the money from it? We've always got to be looking for bigger and better ideas because as you know, the residential sector is changing and we need to be following that. The other thing that we will see is um, we rise from the guys who do we, we Work, which is gyms, and they're also doing We Grow, which is schools. So they're not plan to come to the UK but I'm sure at some stage they will be and it definitely is something to keep our eye, eye on because these new systems, these new practices of work that these big companies are going forward with and they're trialing and testing is something that we can then go, hmm, what are the merits of this? Can we do it ourselves? Okay, so let's quickly move on to my new and noteworthy for the week. So at NC Real Estate, we've got something super exciting that we have just launched and that's the NC Real Estate shop. If you come over to www.ncrealestate.co.uk, I have resources for landlords and property investors which will absolutely blow your mind. They are designed to help you take action, keep up leveling and building that property portfolio that completely hits your goals. One of the projects that I would be super excited for you to go and check out is building the perfect property portfolio strategy. It's a workbook and Excel documents that you can go through to build that strategy that will get you to exactly where you want to go. So do make sure that you head on over to www.ncrealestate.co.uk to check that out now. There are so many other awesome resources, so make sure that you're there, make sure that you're picking those up because I promise you everything that I put out will get you that one step, two step, three steps towards your goals and eventually hit your goals. So I'd be excited for you to try it out and once you do, make sure that you leave a review so I can see how much amazing success that you've had. Aside from that, we still got the Members Club and that is the place where every single month you can get amazing courses, workshops, one-to-one -one support with me and you can also get so many other resources that are also found in the shop. So as a member, you get access to that all for free. 
and it's all designed to give you that amazing, amazing, amazing action taking steps to build that property portfolio and generate wealth. We're also talking about finances, we're talking about other assets that you can buy. Seriously, the Members Club is the place to be if you want to build wealth beyond your dreams. So if that is what you're after, again, head on over to www.ncrealestate.co.uk. Okay, so focus topic for this week's podcast is all about joining assets. Now, this is an interesting subject and one that actually I don't hear that many people talking about. But as you will have known from last week's podcast is that my partner and I recently got engaged. Now the pair of us bring with us assets that we've built up from uh, working since our early 20s and of course I've got a property portfolio and he has got stocks and shares and he's got quite a lot of them. And up until this point of getting engaged we have not really shared anything. We shared a a credit card so that we can get air miles and we can continue building on that, but we haven't actually um, shared anything else. So we don't share my property income, I don't share any income or anything that he gets from his stocks and shares, any payouts there. We don't share anything from our businesses, he also has his own business. Um, I don't share anything from my business, we don't share our income at all, we've never combined that. Although we do live together, we've lived together for a while, we share a flat. The flat is in Chris's name, um, purely because at the time that made sense for him to buy it out and it's only needed a property that he could have. So we've never ever shared anything. and. Part of the reason for that was, for those of you who don't know, when my parents went through a divorce a couple of years ago, it was something where it was so really messy to split that up and it took a long time. For anybody else who's been through that or anybody else who has experienced that with parents, family members, you know that when you're splitting assets, it can be the worst thing possible. It's just gut-wrenchingly hard because you start thinking about, well, who deserves what? Who put what into X, Y, and Z? And the only reason you start doing that is because you're bitter, you're twisted, you're coming out of something which is just, makes you feel awful. And I really didn't want to get into that. It's kind of made me think about, you know what, look, I'm protecting everything that's mine. I'm never going to go after Chris's. You know what, we'll just keep this completely separate lifestyle. But of course, when you get married, that cannot happen. The minute you're married, everything gets joined together. And so something that we've been really focusing on over the last week or so, as we saw our flat out, as you know, we're moving, is thinking about who owns what and how that works. How will that work in our relationship going forward? What happens if in the worst case scenario, we end up splitting up who gets what? And it's been a really interesting way of looking at it because we're not in any way conflicted over this. We're not, we're purely now spending the time setting out, okay, so I've got this and you've got this. And it's a really healthy way of having a conversation. And I know for some people you probably do this really early on, but we just have been absolutely happy just knowing that each other's got what we've got and we didn't really need each other's things. We never have done and going forward, we're probably not even going to look at what the other person has either, but it's quite nice knowing that it's there because when we have kids one day, of course, it's all going to go to our kids. That's kind of the the plan. 
But what I wanted to mention on this podcast, that if you haven't already done it, you do need to, in a really good frame of mind, start having those conversations and writing it down about who owns what within a relationship. It is no good anymore saying, oh, we're never going to divorce, we're never going to leave each other because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. The other thing is, is that you don't know what's going to happen to another person. And if you don't have details of everything that's going on in the in the other person's world as well, how on earth if something happens are you going to sort it out? So what happens if you don't know how many stocks or how many shares the other person has got? What happens if you don't know how much their mortgage is, for example, how many credit cards they've got, what money they've got in their bank account, what what their bank account number even is. And Again, it not been, it hadn't been something that had even crossed my radar, but I now realise that as we form this family, it's something that I really do need to pay attention to. And this is what we're doing. So we're setting out exactly what each other has, and that is the property details for me, that's my mortgages, how much I owe, how much I pay on a monthly basis, the tenants' details, um, all the intricacies and my spreadsheets and all of that for my for my properties, um, as well as all my bank accounts, savings accounts, business accounts. And we're doing the same for all of his assets. Now, it's never saying that, do you know what, he can have it all and I can have everything for his because we just don't need that. It's not something that we ever were like, oh yes, we're relying heavily on this. We're in fortunate positions and we've we've set ourselves up to be in fortunate positions, but it's so important that we know. The other thing is, is drawing up that contract with our solicitors about who gets what in the event of a divorce. And because we're on good terms at the moment, we can easily set out my property portfolio and everything that um, I've built prior to getting engaged. The date of our engagement was the date where that's the cutoff. So everything that um, I owned prior to the date that we got engaged and everything that Chris owned prior to the date that he got engaged, if there's a divorce and there's no kids, it just goes back to the person um, who who owned it before. There's not going to be anybody trying to grab for that and what have you. Luckily, again, as I said, we've both set ourselves up. So it's not, um, it's not like you know, we're going to need the other person's things. And then everything afterwards will be split 50-50, just purely because then we we are joining bank accounts, we're joining things together slowly but surely, and so we're going to be splitting that. But I cannot tell you how important this is, because I've seen it from the point of view where it can all go disastrously wrong. And it even put me off the idea of getting married for a while. It's like, no, I can never go through that absolute disaster. But if you're in a situation where you're in a healthy relationship and you can have that conversation, I really advise that you do. Nobody talks about this enough, but you do need to protect yourself and you do need to protect that other person because when you're going through grief, when things get really hard, who knows what you're going to do and how the other person is going to react. And it does bring out the worst in people. It really, really does. And it doesn't even have to be a really expensive agreement either. You just sit there with your solicitor or you can even just note it down yourselves and get it formalised. As long as there is that agreement of what could happen in worst case scenario, and it's the same with any contract, it's the same with any joint venture, anytime you're working with someone else, you need to know this so that you know the outcome. But it's been a really interesting and very uh, cleansing chat that we've been having recently. And I'm so pleased that we are at a place where we can have that open and honest conversation. 
because it means going forward that we know where we stand, but at the same time, if the worst comes to the worst, we're in no financially worse position than we are right now. We know that everything has been separated and is fair, but at the same time, we also acknowledge that we've been together and there's certain things that we do now share and we can't get out of. And then from there, that's all sorted. So we can go ahead with forming this family and allowing it to grow. But I think it's been a really good thing that we've done. And for those of you who haven't had that conversation or are unsure whether you're going to be having that conversation with your other half, I really suggest that you do. Don't do it in a possessive kind of, this is all mine kind of a way. Just that open, honest conversation. What do you think will happen is if? Do you think we should plan for that? And of course, as we've said, if we were to have kids, everything that we have would go straight to them anyway. So that's not an issue. But I'm so glad it's sorted. So I wanted to have that conversation because no one ever has that conversation. I've not heard it from anywhere else, but it's been a really good way of thinking about things. And if it's something you're worried about, something you need help with, or just someone you someone you need to talk to, then of course you can get in contact with us at NC Real Estate. Head on over to www.ncrealestate.co.uk and all of our contact details are there. Or you can put some comments below, uh, below this podcast. So it's just starting that conversation. We've had that all drawn up. There's now a contract in place. We know what's going to happen. Phenomenal. So that brings me to the end of today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, if you've got any questions or any comments or you want to um, let me know your story, if, if it's been helpful for you, then do put those in the comment section below. Don't forget to push like and subscribe to this podcast and if you're on iTunes you're listening to it, please give me a five-star review. I'd love to hear what you absolutely love from this podcast and any five star reviews I'm going to read them out so do make sure that you put them and you you might be mentioned in next week's podcast so thank you very much for listening today I cannot wait to catch up with you all soon